Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Beautiful, beautiful spirit of worship here tonight. Thank you, Pastor Justin. Appreciate you and the team leading us tonight in worship. And doesn't, doesn't Lakeview have like the best worship team on the planet? These guys are amazing. They bring it every single week. They are amazing. Wow. What a great night. Hey, can I ask you guys a question? How's your fast going? <laughs> Buddy says he's hungry. Somebody somebody, somebody slipped this guy a Tic Tac or a Lifesaver or something. Is that on the fast? Can we do that? Hey, listen. <laughs> yeah, drink your water, buddy. Drink your water. <laughs> Close your eyes and pretend it's a V8 or something. I don't know. Wow. Praise the Lord. This, uh, <laughs> um, I've got people in my office that, that work for me that attend other churches. There are a lot of other churches that are also doing a fast at the beginning of the year, you know. It's kind of a, a, a you know, it's a great thing to do. And a lot of churches, pastors have called their churches to do that. And so I've been hearing over the last couple of days, as those fasts are getting ready to start, I'll hear, I'll hear somebody say, what are we going to do for lunch today? And say, well, we, we better go to this restaurant or that restaurant because I'm not going to be able to have that after the fast starts. So let's, let's go get it done. And <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the little picture that Pastor Matt shared on Facebook of the guy that was stuffing his face reading a Jensen Franklin book on fasting. So, I relate. I feel it. I feel it. No, I think that I think the Lord is going to do some really cool things um, in this church. I think He's going to do some really cool things in your life if you step out there and, and uh, uh, pursue Him. What do they say? Pursuit is the evidence of desire. So you want you, you want more of the Lord. I love what Pastor Matt always says. He says you have all of God you want right now. You if you want more of God, you can have more of God, and so. That's what I love about the Lord. He is findable because he makes himself findable if we'll just seek him. So he makes that promise. So this evening, um, uh, I'm very blessed to be able to, to share with you all at the beginning of this fast some thoughts on prayer and fasting and some things that I believe the Lord has shown me from the book of Acts about what happens when the church comes together to pray. Um, uh, Pastor Matt, of course, will be back with us this weekend. He had an opportunity to go celebrate his daughter's birthday, and he took it, and I'm happy that he did. I, I think that's really cool that he was able to do that. His daughter's birthday is actually coming up a handful of days from now, but he wanted to make sure that he celebrated before they got into the fast, so he's on his way back now. But um, anyway, re really blessed to be able to be with you all this evening and to, um, to kind of kick us off by getting us thinking about fasting and praying, and I want to do that by starting at the beginning of the church, and that would be Acts, the first chapter. I want to talk about how the church was birthed. You know, how many know the church was birthed in a season of prayer and fasting? Like the, the church's birthday happened because the church decided, the, the people of God decided to come together and to pray and seek God above all else. And in constant unity, for a period of 10 days, they began to pray and fast and seek God. And the heavens opened, and God began a movement on the earth that day. 
that we're all reaping the benefits of. It's that, so, so when we talk about riding the wave, that wave started then. And it's, right. it's, it's, it's just one more crest that we're riding right now. And, so, and it happened because of prayer and fasting. But it started where I want to begin this evening is I want to talk to you about something Jesus said to his disciples. I think it would have been one of the coolest things on the planet to be able to be a front row uh, spectator in the ministry of Jesus. How cool would it have been to the stuff that we read about and hear about? How cool would it have been to be able to see it firsthand, the stuff that Jesus did? That's what his disciples, his disciples were all called by name and chosen by him to follow him closely. And they all got to see the stuff. They have, they have memories that are complete with like the sights and sounds and smells of the miraculous. And Jesus, man, he, when he fed 5,000 with a, with a sack lunch from a little boy, they all saw it. They witnessed it firsthand. When he cast the devil out of a man that was living in the tombs and out of his mind, they saw it. They saw the man walk home shaven and clean and, and rejoin his family. When Jesus busted up a funeral procession of a little boy and raised that boy from the dead and gave him back to his mama, they, they saw it. They witnessed this stuff firsthand. And what I think was really cool about that was that along the way, Jesus would drop these little hints to them. And he would say, hey guys, you're not always going to be spectators. You're going to be participants in my redemptive plan. And he would go even a step further and he would say, guys, the things you see me do, even greater things are you going to do yourself because I go to the Father. And so those are the kind of things that, that at the same time excite you and intimidate you, right? If Jesus were to say that to you tonight, if he walked in the room, he says, look, you know all those miracles you've been hearing about since childhood, you're going to do even greater things than me. I think we would be at the same time excited and intimidated. We'd be like, I don't know, I don't know that I'm capable of that. I don't know if I'm even capable of being a vessel for that. And so th those, those, are the, those are the thoughts that I'm, I'm, I'm chewing on when I read Acts chapter 1, when Jesus says, look, Jesus has been telling his disciples, I'm leaving the keys of the kingdom in your hand. I'm turning this thing over to you. I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age, but I'm going to put your shoes on the ground. I'm going to put your hands on the steering wheel, and you're, you're, going, to, you're going to take off with this thing, and you're going to do greater things than I did. And then you get to the end where Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he meets with his disciples, and it's like, okay, now are we ready? Now is, the, is this the big moment where I'm going to launch out and I'm going to do all these things that Jesus has been telling me I'm going to do? But he stops his disciples and he says, okay, but there's one more thing I need you to do. Before you launch out, he says, he says uh, let me find this, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this is what Jesus told his disciples when they were waiting on go, okay, foot locked in the starting block and just waiting for the starter's pistol. Give me the baton, I'm ready to go. Jesus says, time out. You're not ready yet. Because you don't have the equipment you're going to need to accomplish the things that I've called you to do. 
There's a reason why we've been called to a season of prayer and fasting as a church, because I think all of us in this room, if you're part of, if you're part of Lakeview at all, if you worship together with us at all, I think everybody in this room has the same sense of anticipation, right? That we're sitting on go, that we're, we're sitting on the nose cone of a rocket ship, right? And we're just waiting for liftoff, Okay. But what we do when we pause at the beginning of the year like this to pray and fast together as a church is we acknowledge that I don't have everything I need for what God is calling me into. I don't have all the tools. I don't have all the resources. I don't even have all the understanding or insight that I need to take that next step. And Jesus says, oh, I got big things for you. Yeah, you are sitting on the nose cone of a rocket ship. You are sitting on go. You are about to take off. But don't move a muscle until you experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't move a muscle until you get the promised power that I've got en route to you right now. Wait, wait, don't move. And that's what this is all about. That's how I see this. That's how our, my household sees this time, is that we are pausing right now. We know that God has big things. We know that He's about to do something exciting. But I don't want to outpace Holy Spirit. I want to walk in lockstep with Him, and I want to receive whatever He's got for me, and I, and I want to make sure that I'm understanding the voice of God for my life in this year and in this moment. And so when Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, He was telling His disciples, okay, your big moment is here, but not yet. Which, the only thing you're lacking is to receive from the Holy Spirit that next infilling and, and endowment of power. So... This is what I want to focus on. What happened after that is the disciples, after Jesus was ascended back to the Father, the disciples went back to the upper room in Jerusalem. They found themselves a place that they could gather and pray and seek the face of God. And we know it as the upper room. And in that upper room, the Bible says there were about 120 of them that had gathered together to pray. And they prayed, they, they prayed, uh, from the ascension of Jesus until the day of Pentecost, which was about a 10-day period. Okay, So for 10 straight days, they sought God and they prayed. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically mention that they were fasting, but I think it's not too much of a stretch to say nobody was really that concerned with eating during that time because they were all sitting in anticipation, waiting. They, nobody wanted to miss anything, right? Nobody wanted, to, nobody wanted to go prepare a meal. They didn't want to miss anything. So they're sitting there in the room praying, seeking God for a period of 10 days. And what happens next is what I wanted to share with you guys tonight. This is what happens when the church comes together and agrees that going after God and pursuing Him is the most important thing. This is what happens. And let's just unpack it together one piece at a time. So what the Bible says first in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So I'm going to pause right there and just say the first thing that happens when the body of Christ decides that seeking God is the most important thing is it helps the church to find a sense of unity, common purpose, commonality. So what I love about the body of Christ in general, but what I specifically love about being a part of Lakeview Assembly, is that there are people in this room from literally all walks of life. There, there are people here, there are people here in this room that are going to go home to half million dollar houses. And there are people in this room that might sleep in their car tonight. 
okay? And everywhere in the middle. And we're all in this room together. There are people in this room that have been through unspeakable trauma. And there are people in this room that, relatively speaking, have lived charmed lives. There are, pe- there are people in this room that have, and there's people in this room that don't have. There are people in this room from all races and socioeconomic standing. There's people with checkered pasts. And, and we're all together in this room, and think about it. If it wasn't for Jesus as the common thread between us, how would any of us know each other? How would any of us ever have experienced fellowship and community with each other? It's Jesus. When he says, this is my body broken for you, what he's saying is that, you know, my body is broken so that the body of Christ can be whole, so that the church of God can be whole. And so we come together uh, and find that sense of unity through prayer and fasting. Now, I don't have to tell you that uh, there are serious forces that, that are constantly at work trying to drive wedges between us. Separation and division. I'm not just talking about in this church. I'm talking about in every meaningful relationship you have in your life. That's, the enemy knows that we were made for community and he works overtime to drive wedges between us constantly. We can't agree on anything. I've seen people break fellowship over literally anything. I've seen, I've seen churches break fellowship over the, literally the color of the carpet. I saw a church come apart one time because they had to choose the color of the carpet in a remodel. And the church literally just disintegrated. They went separate directions and started their own. Can you imagine, can you imagine going and being a part of that church plant? We're the church of the red carpet over here. That's what, we're the red carpet assembly, you know. I, I don't understand. We have these creative, we, we're constantly finding creative ways to be divisive, to, to, to stand our ground. Because we love to be right. And I think some of you guys have heard me say before, I think many people would rather be right than in relationship. And they, they constantly are choosing ways that they can be right so that you can be wrong. And, uh, uh, you know, my, my bumper sticker supporting my political party is way better than your bumper sticker supporting your political party. You know, I, I have family members that have said, I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote bloop, this particular party. And, and, and actually, I've got close friends that have said that to me with both of the major political parties in America. I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote this, or I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote that. And what's happening is we're finding these ways to just dig our heels in and be divided. We find creative ways to say, I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm so right that there's no way that we can share a street in heaven. There's no way that my, my mansion can't be on the same street as yours in heaven. And I don't even think you can make it to heaven because you're wrong. You're a Ford guy and I'm a Chevy guy. I mean, that's how ridiculous it's gotten is that we find all these creative ways to be right so that everybody else around us can be wrong. And what happens when the church of God prays is that we find that common denominator that runs between us that's the blood of Jesus. There's no rich Jesus and poor Jesus and clean Jesus and dirty Jesus and happy past and sad past Jesus and black Jesus and white Jesus. There's, there's only one Jesus. 
And when the church of God hits their knees and begins to pray, that's what happens is we find a sense of unity. There's our path forward. Our path forward is that Jesus is, is the greatest thing that ever happened to this tired old earth. And every man, woman, boy, and girl needs to just taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we're peddling. That's what we're offering. And when we find that commonality among us, now we can start to experience revival. That's the, that's the beginnings of revival, is when the church of God says, we're going to all be together in one place with one purpose, and that's to make much of Jesus. I'm going to put down all my division. I'm going to put down all of my rightness, and I'm going to go after Jesus, and I'm going to do it with you, and you, and you, and you, and we're going to do this thing together. We're going to go after Jesus together. So when God's people pray, the church finds its reason for unity. All sorts of reasons today that we could and maybe even should be divided. But there's one reason that we should be on the same page, and that is that God is doing a work in this earth, and He's wanting to reveal Himself through His church. Through His church. And I want to be on the same page with that. That's where I want to be. I'm telling you that we are, we are relational beings that are meant to walk in unity and community. We are relational beings designed by God. When he said, let us make man in our own image, the us he was talking about was the triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are in perfect unity. You know, Jesus said in John 17, he said, let them be one as you and I are one. Talking to the Father, Jesus and the Father. He said, let them be one as you and I are one. So God is in perfect unity. There's no division in him. That's the way we were designed to be. But I'm telling you, we're really bad at it. We are really, really bad at it. There's really only one way for us to walk in unity with each other. There's not another way. There's no way that we can do it in our own strength. It comes through drawing near to the Lord and letting His Holy Spirit take over in our relationships. That's where we find unity. It's the only way. It's the only way we're going to make it work. So... The first thing that happens when God's people come together and begin to pray is that they find a sense of unity. They were all together from all sorts of... Jesus' church, that first church of 120 that met in the upper room, was no different than this one here tonight in that they came from all different walks of life. We were talking about people with really bad pasts. There were people in that room. Uh, uh, Mary Magdalene was probably in that room. She was there. You had Matthew that was there, the tax collector. You had fishermen that were there. You had some uh, political activists that were there, some zealots. Simon the Zealot would have been there. You had people from all sorts of backgrounds that didn't, didn't enjoy one another's company outside of Jesus. It was Jesus that brought them into the room together. So that church was no different than this church. It's that Jesus is that sense of unity. So the second thing that happens when God's people begin to pray is, it's, uh, let's just keep reading. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the second thing that happens when God's people decide to come together and pray 
is that an atmosphere is created both corporately and in your heart that prepares us to be the recipients of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwelling in us. This is no small thing, friends. This, this, this thing has been prophesied and spoken over uh, for thousands of years prior to this moment that the Holy Spirit would become available to the body of Christ at large. God gifted His Holy Spirit to the church in such a beautiful way to those that were gathered in that room, something that had never been seen before wholesale like that. And that prior to this moment, the Holy Spirit rested on individuals in certain moments for certain things. But it was in this moment that the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit and His power became available to any church willing to pray and any individual willing to seek after it. That promise was made available to you and to me on this day. Prior to that, I mean, we read about people like King Saul in the Old Testament when he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he became literally a different person and he began to prophesy and speak the words of God. You read about King David, same thing. When he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, you, you, you read about uh, Moses when he was anointed by God. You read about Jesus uh, who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it was in this moment that wholesale, you and me, and Joe Blow, every one of us became candidates to receive the baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it turned the world upside down. This was the moment that the church caught fire. This was the moment that the rocket ship ignited. And took off. Prior to that moment, they knew the Holy Spirit. Jesus even told us in John chapter 14, verse 17, He told His disciples, He says, I'm not talking about something you don't know. He says, the Holy Spirit, you know Him because He's with you. But He said He will be in you. That one little preposition change. Those, that one little word, with and in. He says, the Holy Spirit is with you. There's nobody in this room that has been drawn to, to the Father that didn't experience the work of the Holy Spirit. He drew you. You, could, you can't know your need for sin. You can't know that the, uh, the, the gospel message is for you. You can't know those things except the Holy Spirit illuminates them to you. So you all know, everybody in this room knows the Holy Spirit because He's with you. But Jesus says He can be more than with you. He can be in you. His power can flow out of you. Jesus said something similar in John chapter 7 when He stood up on the last day of the feast and He said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. And if you'll do that, out of your innermost belly will flow rivers of living water. So the Holy Spirit will not just be something that's around you or near you or that draws you, but something that flows out of you ministry and power can flow out of you. The, the miraculous can flow out of you. Jesus promised it. The, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 demonstrated it, and now it's available to everybody in this room. And when the church comes together, it provides the perfect atmosphere for us to experience the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit together. It realigns us. It helps us to see through spiritual lenses. Don't you know that there are two realms out there? There's the natural realm that can be understood with your five senses, with your empirical senses, what you smell and taste and hear and touch. 
What did I miss? See. Oh, the most important one. What you see. What you see with your eyes. Your five senses can, can tell you what's happening in this room on the faces of other people as you look around and see. But there's a whole other realm that's happening in this room. A spiritual realm. A spiritual realm. God working in people's hearts and lives. God bringing transformation into people's hearts and lives. Holy Spirit bringing conviction. There's all sorts of things that are happening on the spiritual realm. There's breakthrough that's about to happen in certain people's lives. But those things are happening spiritually. And you can't see those or hear those with your own natural senses. Those things require the Holy Spirit to illuminate them to you. And the body of Christ is meant to flow in that Holy Spirit. We're meant to see and affirm those things in each other. That's why the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit work so beautifully in tandem. I love you and I ask the Lord to give me a word of prophecy for you. I want, I want, to, I want the Lord to give me a word of knowledge for you. A word of wisdom for you. A gift of healing for you. And so the, those things all come from Holy Spirit. They all come from Holy Spirit. When He gives me those gifts, then I can operate in those gifts in this room and edify and strengthen your faith and let the kingdom of God be manifested right here in the, in the natural realm in the way... That's why Jesus said, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that breaks down the barrier between the two. He takes from, he, he takes from the deep things of God and makes them known to us. He prays through us in ways that we couldn't understand, groanings that couldn't be uttered. It's the Holy Spirit that breaks the barrier between the heavens and the earth, that breaks the barrier between the natural and the spiritual realm. And when the church comes together to pray, isn't this exciting? When the church comes together to pray, it provides the perfect breeding ground for all of us to be receivers of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. When the church of God decided to get together and pray for 10 days after the ascension of Jesus, man, heaven broke loose in that room. And it started, it started a wave that's just crested and crested. And we're riding that wave today. That's where the wave started. That's where the tsunami hit right there. And the wave just grows and grows in anticipation of the return of Jesus. We're riding it. We're riding it right now. When we pray and we fast, we are preparing our heart and mind to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So, something else that I found that was really interesting in Acts, that, that, uh, that story of the birth of the church. Let's skip over to chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. lost my numbers on my Bible app. <laughs> they disappeared on me. Yeah, I know. So, Acts chapter 4. Oh, that's why. Because I'm in chapter 3. It just doesn't tell me. <laughs> like, that don't look like what I was going to say at all. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, oh my goodness <laughs> okay 
Okay, that's why, because I got ahead of myself. I'm sorry, guys. Just stick with me, all right? I decided not to bring my computer. I thought I'd just read it off my phone. That wasn't a smart idea. <laughs> so when, the, when, when they started praying and speaking in tongues... Uh, let's, let's just, let's roll back. I'm sorry. You can hold that place. We'll get there eventually, but let's roll back. Cause I want to go back to this where they started praying and speaking in tongues. The Bible says they begin to speak in tongues all the way back to chapter two. I'm sorry. They begin to speak in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And... They were amazed and astonished and said, they, they were amazed and astonished and said, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Okay. So we had this really powerful moment where God empowers the church to begin to speak in unknown tongues. And... There were people standing in the street because of the time of year it was, because of the festival that was going on. There were people from all over the world, the, the nearby world, that had traveled to Jerusalem. And they, they hear these guys praying from the upper room, and they recognize the language as their own. So you've got people from all sorts of languages that are hearing, hearing God be glorified. Okay, the, the words that were coming out of their mouth were being translated miraculously, and people were hearing it in their own tongue. Anybody remember what the Bible says they were saying? In this instance, we do know what they were saying. What were they saying? They were glorifying God, right? They were glorifying God. We don't have the exact words, but they were glorifying God. So, here's what I think is amazing. When, when the church of God comes together to pray, God gives us a whole new language with which to make much of Jesus. He gives us a whole new language to glorify God. So the words that come out of our mouth, they stop glorifying you know, the devil or the problems or the enemy or, 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 or the things that are standing against us. And instead, our language shifts. There's a shift in our language. And we begin to talk about how amazing and how awesome God is. That's what was happening here. The Bible says that the, the, the people of God began to pray in language. The Holy Spirit just took over their mouths and they began to form words that they've never learned before. But the meaning behind those words was, was, uh, was exposing the greatness of God to an entire community. So what happens when the church of God begins to pray and seek the face of God is that God begins to give us a new language and, and with our language, a new lens to understand the world around us. We now see it through the lens of what God is doing and how amazing God is. Can I just tell you this? Every story in your life can be told one of two ways. Every story can be told one of two ways. You can tell the story through the lens of negativity and defeatism and victimhood. It's not hard to do. Just lean in. You'll find the words. And you'll find somebody that'll join you in that pity party. You'll find somebody that'll tell you how right you are and how miserable and how unfair your life is. Every story can be told that way. But what happens when we hit our knees collectively as a church is we don't, those words leave us. And the words that are replaced are words of glorification of God. How amazing He is. And can you believe He... Listen to what Paul says when he's being... When he's being uh, 
tortured, he says, I can't believe I get the privilege of suffering the way that Jesus suffered. I can't believe he trusts me. Where does that kind of language come from? It doesn't, it doesn't come from our human nature, I can tell you that, because I don't even like it when the temperature is a little off in the room. I don't, I don't even like it when they're out of my favorite candy bar at the checkout stand. Like, that's a huge inconvenience to me, right? Oh, it's great. But Paul, being persecuted, says, can you believe it? He's, it I, I almost picture him like, like over Christmas, anybody watch the movie Elf? I almost picture him like, can you believe it? Santa's coming. You know, it's that kind of childish excitement that I see on his face. Can you believe it? I get to suffer. What that is, is new language, new language that flows from the Holy Spirit. So when the church comes together and prays, we lose the old language of defeatism and victimhood. And we get this whole new language that says, can you believe how amazing God is? I, can you believe it? Can you believe what God has done and what, how he set me up? I don't know how this is going to play out, but wow, can you see how God has set me up? For something really cool. He's painted, he's painted, he's drawn a canvas here that a miracle is about to unfold in front of me. And so I think that's one of the most beautiful things that happens when we pray and seek the face of God is that new language of glorification, of, of worship, that new language of worship. I want to make much of Jesus. I'm I'm really tired of making much of the problems. I'm really tired of making... You know, there are people that are making... There are preachers out there and ministries that are built around making cash, hand over fist, talking about how bad the world is because of politics and, and one world this and all that. And they're like, here, buy my next book and I'll tell you how bad it is. It's just awful. You know, it's bad and it's bad and it's getting worse. You know? And... and and what happens when God's people pray is that language gets replaced with just wait till you see what God is about to do in this moment. Can you believe it? Where there is great, where there is great sin, grace all the more abounds. Can you see? Can you see the contrast here? God is just setting this up for a contrast of what kind of miracles he's about to do. And that's the language that I'm asking God for during my season of prayer and fasting personally, is I want to lose the old language of victimhood and defeatism. And, and I, I, I want a whole new language that says, my God is greater. My God is amazing. And when those words come out of my mouth, they're from the Holy Spirit. And I'm agreeing with him, not only about, not only about understanding what's happened, but anticipating what God is about to do. <sighs> Telling you, it... It tunes our hearts. Praying together as a church tunes our hearts and minds to begin to see the world through the lens of what God is doing. He's so good. Because you got to remember, the people that were glorifying God in that upper room, by the way, they had a lot of reason to be uh, discouraged. The politics were not in, on their side in those days. I mean, they were a proud nation that was living under Roman rule. There was a lot of confusion. Not only that, but those, th these were Christians. These were followers of Jesus that had gathered in the upper room. And they, 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 didn't, they were like a people without a country. I mean, they, the Romans, 
didn't have any use for him, and now the Jews didn't have any use for him, right? So they had a lot of reason to be discouraged. Not only that, but Jesus was gone. He'd gone back to the Father. So there were all sorts of reasons for them to hang their head and talk about how bad things were, but instead, when the Holy Spirit came, none of that mattered. The words that came out of their mouth were redemptive and powerful. So, another thing. Prayer and fasting is the best way to combat fear. There were some people in that room that we know. We don't know everybody's story out of the 120 that were there. Um, but there are some we do know their story. And one of those is Peter. And we know that Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, but he's also one of the innermost disciples, one of the three closest to him. And because he was so close, we, I, I think that's probably why we have more stories, more descriptions about things that he did. And so w- before we get too far down the road of picking on Peter, I'm sure there were other disciples that struggled in the same carnal ways that Peter did or similar. But one of the things that we read about with Peter is it seems like every time we turn the page and his story, he's struggling with some sort of faithlessness or fear. So he's walking on the water of the day with Jesus, and you know he's the only person that have ever done that besides Jesus. But the Bible says he saw the wind and the waves, and he got afraid, and he sank. And Jesus had to pull him up out of there. And then later on, as Jesus comes near to the end of his ministry, he tells Peter, you know, he, he, Jesus tells, Peter tells Jesus, I'll never leave you, I'll never, he's like, yeah, you will. You're going to deny me. And so, um, you know, when Jesus is then asked... Uh, by a servant girl, if he knows Jesus, he's like, I've never heard of him before. You know, this mighty man of power certainly becomes, you know, knee-knocking Peter. He's terrified. So what happens was you, you've got this man that has a history of being... One time in my life I had a chihuahua. Anybody ever had a chihuahua? Well, uh, uh, spanky, spanky, right? Yeah, I had a chihuahua. I don't, know, I don't know, Mike, if your chihuahua is like the chihuahua I had, but my chihuahua was all bark and no bite. And so, well, mine did. <laughs> mine did bark. And what was funny was he, he would think he was like 10 foot tall. You know, he'd, he'd like bark and chase and posture and run, and then all you had to do was kind of turn and look at him, and he'd cower and run away, you know. So he, he's like the dog chasing the car. You know, what are you going to do when you ch- catch that car? You know, you think you want it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> until it turns you into a speed bump, right? And so, so, you know, I think of Peter sort of in that vein. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm with him. And then he's all acting big and machismo, and then, you know, one little punch in the jaw, and he's terrified, and he's running. And so this was his pattern. I mean, he, he kind of had this pattern of, of being scared. He got to see things in the flesh, and it would terrify him. So fast forward to the day of Pentecost, they're all in the upper room praying. Holy Spirit descends. They begin to speak in other tongues. And everybody's demanding an answer. Everybody outside that room is demanding, what's happening in there? What is this drunken party that's happening in there? And the Bible says it was Peter that stands up and suddenly finds this supernatural courage that came out of nowhere, seemingly. And he says, these, these men are not drunk. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. And he begins to unpack this beautiful gospel message and thousands get saved. So what happens when the church begins to pray is that we, praying and seeking the face of God, 
allows us to shed our fear of the unknown, our fear, our intimidation, our, that, that knee-knocking that happens when you don't know what's coming next or you're afraid of what might happen. All of a sudden, we've got, we've got genuine empowerment from Holy Spirit, and now we really can say, I, I'm, I'm not only with Him, He's in me. He's in me, flowing through me, and He's going to empower me and anoint me to preach this message. So that's what happens when the church of God prays, is they begin to operate in, not in fear, but in power. Okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land the plane here with this one. Prayer and fasting is one of the ways, not one of the ways, prayer and fasting is the way that God chooses to launch the church into its mission. He chooses to launch the church into mission through prayer and fasting. So as we began this evening, I told you that the church, that the disciples of Jesus were specifically instructed, don't, don't start your ministry. Yes, I know I told you that you're going to do greater things than me. And I know you've got to be chomping at the bit to try it. But he says, don't do it yet until you get alone, seek the face of God, and receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And once you do that, I won't have to tell you what to do. Holy Spirit will be leading and guiding your every step. Like you, Nobody will need to tell you. Can you imagine if somebody would have said, well, Jesus, how will we know when we get it? And he's just like... <laughs> we'll have that conversation again later, right? <laughs> After you receive it, you'll know. You'll know. No one's going to have to explain it to you what happened. You're going to be a different person. Holy Spirit's going to surge through you. And he's going to launch you into ministry. So that was the moment. That was, when the Holy Spirit empowered the church, that was the moment that ministry started going forth. That was the moment that crowds started gathering. That was the moment that you started to see, you started to see uh, uh, unbelievable miracles happening through the disciples and through the church. That's how he launches his church into mission. So... I can't even imagine what God might have in store for this church. Because I look around and see the types of ministries, redemptive ministries, that have already been birthed and empowered in this body. And I think, wow, what's going to happen at the tail end of our time together as we, as we pause and fast and pray and we do what the disciples did. And 21 days from now, 20 days from now, what kind of miracles are going to come out of that? What kind of empowerment can, can come out of that? As we come on the back end of that and we're launched into new seasons of ministry. God, God may have some, some things for you specifically that he's been trying to burden you. That's one of the things I love about um, fasting and praying is that it peels away some of the distractions uh, there are a lot of you in the room probably doing some sort of a social media fast because that's a really popular thing to do. And there's wisdom in that. I'll tell you why. Because it's one layer of distraction and noise that you, you turn off. You push to the side and you, you zone in on what is Holy Spirit saying to me. That's the thing. If God wanted to say something to you, if he wanted to birth something new in you, if he wanted to birth a ministry in you, and he had it all lined out, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do in you, and he wanted to say it to you. Is there any sort of context at all in your life where he could speak? Is there any pause? Is there any moment? Is there any opportunity for him to get a word in edgewise with all the noise and clamor that's, 
that, that, that we surround ourselves. That's what fasting does, is it allows us to say, I'm not listening to any of that other stuff. And to put it the way that Pastor Matt put it this last Sunday, he said, I want the, I want, let's see if I can get it right. I want the growl, I don't want the growl of my stomach to be louder than the groan of my spirit. That's good. That's good stuff. I don't want the growl of my stomach to be louder. I'm going to turn that growl into a groan of, of God, I want you. I want more of you. I want to find that unity. I want to find that empowerment from the Holy Spirit. I want to shed that fear. I want to get that new language that you give me of glorifying God and making much of Jesus. And I'm ready to launch into ministry. Those are the things that I found in the first few chapters of Acts. And uh, the one piece I didn't have time for tonight, but I'll let you search it out, is I believe that the, the um, season of prayer and fasting also makes the church um, compassionate, makes us care about people. Because when you read in Isaiah 58, uh, you, you see uh, God speaking through Isaiah to the people in the middle of their fast. And he says, why are you fasting and not caring more about people? He says, at the end of the day, if you're fasting, you should be breaking your bread with the poor. Like, you're fasting for your own purposes. Fast for mine, and that's to care for, for hurting people. So that's, that's another piece that I, you, can, you can go dig and find that yourself, how when God's people seek the face of God and they fast and pray together, those are things that always happen. They glorify God more. They love each other more. They walk in unity more. And they care compassionately for those that are hurting more. Those are things that are just natural byproducts of what happens when the church of God prays and fasts. Why don't you stand with me this evening and let's, let's thank the Lord for his word. Father, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And you said in your word that if we would seek you with all of our hearts, we would find you. You don't hide yourself from us. You don't play games with us. But God, our, our, our fasting and our praying together as a church, it's not some sort of a game we're trying to play. We just want to hear you. We want to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. We want to, we want to experience you, God. And I pray, Father, as we shut off other distractions, I'm asking you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in a deeper way. I pray, Father, for those that are on the journey, maybe for the first time. Maybe there are people in the room that have never tried a season of fasting and praying. And God, it can be awkward. It can be clunky. Maybe we, maybe we try and we fail. And maybe we set out this morning, we were going to fast all day, and we only made it through lunch. And whatever. I pray there wouldn't be any guilt in this room, but instead that we just turn our hearts and our ears to you. It's not that you're pleased, God, by some sort of superhuman effort on our part. You're pleased by our desire for you and that we would pursue you. And I pray, God, that you would help those maybe that are trying a season of fasting for the first time. I pray that you would reserve the choicest revelation for them tonight to whet their appetites and to make them pursue you all the more. God, if we could just taste and see how good you are. If, you can if we could just taste and see how good you are. And you'd whet our appetites, God, for a lifetime of holy pursuit. We love you. We bless you, God. We honor you tonight. I pray that you go with us throughout this week. And, and let us find those moments of deeper revelation in our, in our quiet prayer times alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.